Hey, St. John, welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. So today we will be discussing the sermon from this past Sunday. Um, so tell me, what was the text that you preached on? Uh, this is uh, Luke chapter 14, and uh, the first part of the chapter where Jesus is invited to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. There are some lawyers present, also a man with dropsy. Jesus heals this man. And then Jesus proceeds to talk about feast stuff, about places of honor, seating charts, and looking ahead to the, the feast of the new creation and how it will be in the reign of God. Foodie Jesus, right? Foodie Jesus, yeah. That's right. And it's interesting because, yes, this is Luke 14, but it almost seemed like you preached on Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it definitely wanted to spring from chapter 14 all the way to chapter 24. And that was definitely intentional with the sermon. What was your central teaching? Uh, The central teaching just deals with the idea that Jesus, I mean, he's the host of the feast and that you belong at his feast of the new creation, the feast of the Lord's Supper and things along those lines there. And you showed this teaching through a painting that we saw right away throughout the whole sermon. Yeah. That depicts Jesus at a feast of sorts, or there was at least with a couple of disciples. Yeah, he's at table with food, a but... few disciples. Yeah, yeah, it's a painting by Caravaggio, and it's his painting of Jesus with the disciples from the Emmaus Road. And I really enjoyed just having that painting up the entire sermon and just working our way through the sermon with that painting ever-present. And my hope was, like, as the, medita- as the meditation went on, it allowed a, a deeper and deeper... Uh, uh, reflection on what the painting is showing us. You know, that's not something I really noticed at churches before I came to St. John was preaching that involved a certain image. So is that like a certain kind of sermon structure? Can you tell us a little bit about how you like got this idea to use images of this sort for, for sermons? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, images are, are certainly a, a common thing to use in sermons. And, and the biggest thing is to ask yourself uh, when writing the sermon is, is this something I actually want to show people or something I want to describe to people? And there, there are trade-offs with either. And if, if you show the image, it's a much more powerful thing, right? You, the image actually encounters you, it draws you in, it impacts you, but it can also lead to less attentiveness and attention. And um, when people see the whole image, they're going to look at what they want to look at, you know? But if you describe the image uh, and not show them, you have much more control as the preacher and want to really direct your hearer towards whatever you want to do. But you have to describe it. And so there are trade-offs with that. And then also just the question of when do you evoke the image? When do you introduce it to the sermon? Is it something you bring up at the beginning and then you remove it and then you come back to it and see it in new light? Or in this case, just left it there and just let the image kind of be present. And so... Uh, preaching with images has always been a thing. Um, even in scripture, we, you know, we see objects being used in, in preaching and teaching and, um, and images drawn to mind. And I think also just churches with like stained glass windows, a cross up front, um, you know, the vestments that are worn, the baptismal font. I mean, these, these are ever-present fixtures. These are literal images, pieces of art. And we encounter them throughout our lives as Christians and throughout the life of the church year. And so... Yeah, it's the whole point ultimately is just how does it serve the gospel? 
That's why I wanted to use the image on Sunday. That's a really good point that we see images during the sermon, but also just during the whole service, just from being in the sanctuary and looking around and being reminded again of of the story of God, right? Mm -hmm. What was the problem that your sermon sought to identify? In a way, the sermon was dealing with the overarching problem of, do we actually belong to Jesus? Do we belong at his table and in and in the new creation? Uh, do we actually matter? Um, and this is why, you know, Luke just kind of almost ignores the guy with dropsy, or we think about the, uh, the prodigal sons, or the last, the least, the lost, the unwelcome. Who actually belongs at table with Jesus? And um, to actually hear again and again that, no, you actually do, and Christ is the one who sets you at table. Um, it's, it's this, it's this desire to actually be at home, at home with the Lord and at home with one another. Uh, and the Lord actually answers that and fills that. Um, and so that's just kind of, it, it just really depends on, on the hearer and how that, that problem resonates in its specific way. But we all have this desire to belong and this all desire to be at home and, and at table with our God in the feast of the new creation. And the Lord brings that about. Yes, this theme of belonging is definitely how you got to Jesus in your sermon, that we, we do belong at table with him. And going back to that painting, you brought up the fourth man in there, specifically saying that, wait, there's only two disciples with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But the fourth one, the painter's inviting us into that, right? Yeah. That kind of goes with the that sense of belonging as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the road to Emmaus, you have those disciples and just in complete despair that, you know, alas, our, you know, our Savior's dead, or so they thought. And just the just this walk of shame and sorrow that they have and how we can be caught up in our sins that drive us down similar paths you know, when death faces us and how the light of Christ shines brighter and brighter the darker the evening gets in the story. It's just so awesome. <laughs> I, I love the Abeus Road story. And so I love how the artist puts in another figure. And I like to think of that figure as us looking at the scene. And I love how his face still has, you know, some shadow cast upon it. And yet the light of Christ is going to overwhelm that too. And isn't that true for all of us in some sense down our roads and our paths and our journeys? Um, Christ comes alongside us and he brings us in and he breaks his, you know, he breaks his body and his blood for us. And the light comes upon us too. And we get to see, and we get to realize we belong, that it's the Lord and he is ours and we are his and, and all of it. Yeah. He breaks his body and blood for us. And, and in Luke 24, it is talking about this breaking of bread. And that's, when the disciples' eyes were open to the truth, right? So this breaking of bread, I am curious, is this talking about communion here? Like, were they communing with Jesus, or was this just a meal that they were having together? It's a good question. I think some want to, you know, just read the breaking of the bread as, well, they just had food, right? They broke bread, and we, we use that in that kind of parlance as well. But when you have the risen Lord Jesus 
And when's the last time he was at table in Luke's gospel? Because he's been at table a lot in Luke, as I made that point. Um, it would have been at the institution of, of his supper. Right. It would have been at the Lord's Supper itself. And he took bread and blessed it and broke it. This is my body. And then you have all the events of right, the rest of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and Easter. And now they're back at table with the Lord. Their eyes still kind of with a shade, you know, with a veil, not fully seen. And when did they realize it was the Lord? It was in the breaking of the bread. I mean, this is this is the Lord's Supper. And so um, when you see that expression, especially in the New Testament, you know, Acts chapter 2, also here, it's the Lord's Supper. It's not just, okay, they had they had their church picnic together. Um, they certainly fellowshiped in the church and had these meals together. But the breaking the bread, I mean, the Lord's Supper, it is the centerpiece of the worship and life of, of the church. And that's when their eyes were opened. That's when they saw the Lord. And we get to partake of that same Lord every time we commune as well. There was also a bowl of fruit in the painting. Yeah. And that's obviously not in scripture, but the way you talked about it was really fascinating. And could you tell us a little bit about your interpretation about why there was a bowl of fruit there? Yeah. And this is just what's so awesome with, with artwork like this uh, from the church that there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And, you know, why take the time to paint a scene like this in, in any details that are there? And just seeing that bowl of fruit. And I remember just kind of researching a little bit about the painting and just someone mentioned how that bowl of fruit's about to fall off. It's kind of hanging precariously. And and that was all that was really said. And I was just kind of dwelling on that and thinking, well, why would the artist do this? Or what's it, what's it reminding us of? And just thinking of fruit and fall, it, it wasn't too hard to jump back to Genesis. And uh, I, I think that's I like to think of it that way, that this is an, an echo of the fall into sin, how the first meal of the Bible is a meal of fruit. Adam and Eve ate to the fruit in defiance of their God, and the fall was that great, you know. And and now we have Jesus, and Luke makes an explicit point in his gospel that Jesus is the new Adam. You get this genealogy in Luke's gospel. After Jesus is baptized and the genealogy goes backwards, it starts with Jesus and goes all the way backwards to Adam and ends with Adam, the son of God. I mean, Jesus is the new Adam. He's doing this over and he is faithful. And now at this table, you know, along the Emmaus road, sin doesn't get to ruin it all anymore. This first meal has become undone and is undone in the meal of the breaking of the bread. Which was the the fruit of the tree of the cross. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, one of our prayers sometimes we use before the Lord's Supper. This is um, this is the proper preface appointed for Holy Week. And just let me read this here. So it's Holy Week, right? It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who accomplished salvation sorry, who accomplished the salvation of mankind by the tree of the cross, that where death arose, their life also might rise again, and that the serpent who overcame by the tree of the garden might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying. Uh, I, I love that prayer and just how 
you know, describes the cross as a tree. And, and we get this, you know, Galatians 3, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And Paul's referencing how Christ was cursed for us and he was hung on the cross. You obviously have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the beginning. And then in, in Revelation at the end, you have the tree of life once more. I mean, it, it, it's just a very consistent theme in scripture. And Jesus, uh, his body and blood, it's the fruit. It is the product of that tree and it is for us and it's poured out for us. And it's just, it, it's just so cool to see these biblical themes just run all the way through and so beautifully and wonderfully fulfilled in Christ. And we see these these themes in the painting, but also you brought up just how Luke is a good writer and he is writing with the ending in mind. And we see this as well. I mean, you, you mentioned he's a doctor, but he's talking so much about food throughout you know, this, this part of, of, well, I guess through the whole, the gospel of Luke, right? You have this, this theme and, and it, you're kind of joking around and saying like, it's what, what is with this, this obsession, but really I think it points back to what you were saying, how it does point to his body and blood and and to this feast, which uh, then goes to revelation 19, which you read at the end as well. The, the marriage feast where um, our bridegroom will come, claim us as his own where yeah. we belong right yeah yeah and uh, maybe part of my uh lament about the lectionary committee was also part of my frustration as a preacher of oh no another reading of jesus at table and luke what am i supposed to do with this <laughs> and that's partly why i want let's just jump right ahead to luke 24 and just let's make that whole connection that luke has been doing all along that we've been building towards that meal on that emmaus road and as you were bringing up the meal of the new creation the, the marriage feast, which Jesus gives a parable about in verses 15 to 24. So tell me something about the text that did not make it into the sermon. Uh, a lot of the text. <laughs> <laughs> like most of it, no. Yeah, I mean... Man it, with dropsy. The man with dropsy. Yeah, it's, uh, it is neat how Luke does this. I mean, Luke being the doctor, he does focus on details. And you can tell he has a, a medical eye for some things. Like in, in the book of Acts, when Paul is bitten by the viper... You know, Luke makes sure to mention that in the Viper, like really clamped down on Paul. I mean, Paul really got, you know, the venom. Um, you, you get these moments of, you know, Luke is the one that records Christ in his bloody sweat praying in the garden. You know, Luke just takes notes of these things. And here it's just kind of, oh yeah, there's also a guy who drops you. And you get the language of behold. And it's like, oh yeah, look over here. So I didn't focus so much on that miracle and healing, but... I rather wanted to use this reading as a reminder to see that there is this consistent biblical theme, not only in Luke, but in all of scripture with the feast. And I do have to ask, because this is a here submitted question, what exactly is dropsy? Why is it called that? Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think we use the word edema now. So it's like a swelling, like, you know, you retain water and a part of your body swells. And um, I, I did do an image search there. And I'm glad I did not use those images uh, for the sermon on Sunday. I think the painting was much nicer. Um, but uh, I'm not going to go further than that because I'm a theologian and not a doctor. You know, Luke gets to be both, uh, not me. Uh, I wish our listeners could see my face right now. <laughs> Anyways, where did we find the sermons teaching in the small catechism? I think of the second article, the Apostles' Creed. You know, Jesus, he's purchased, he's won me, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own. 
one of my favorite lines in the whole catechism, that we belong to Christ, live under him in his kingdom, serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is most certainly true. Uh, we get to belong at table with the king. I think, of course, uh, the Lord's Supper section of the small catechism is really helpful. All the questions there, you know, pointing towards um, what's going on in the supper. It really is the body and blood of Christ, and it really is for you, singular. You know, the emphasis there of this gift is for you. You belong. You matter. And Jesus gives you himself. I like that. It's singular, but there's also that communal aspect as well right? That especially at communion, we have unity with one another and it's not just about, you know, me and Jesus, but then there is that sense of like, I am his own. Yes. Like I was bought at a cost and it's, it's personal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always a a tension as a Christian that we have our individual identities in Christ. And we also have this communal identity as the body of Christ or as the bride of Christ. And uh, make sure we don't overemphasize one side to the you know to the loss of the other, but both need to be heard. And and I really wanted to lean into the you belong, you singular, you matter. You know that that was really what I wanted to lean into with this aspect of the tension. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially in this day and age. Probably more people than not have that sense of not belonging, and we see that in our culture a lot of just trying to find ways to self-justify and feel at home because so often we feel that tension that things are not right with this world Mm -hmm. or with the people around us even disappoint us right uh so i think that's just such a i mean it's it's a timeless message for for sure of, of desiring belonging but i would imagine especially nowadays it's just so important yeah that that i like that language of being at home yeah, and, and we look for it in so many different ways. It's just how can I feel rooted and grounded and I have I have a, a, a company that of people that get me. It is our Lord who gets us and accepts us and loves us and washes us and feeds us. I mean, he's everything. Hmm. And so even for the rest of the week, if we don't feel like we belong, at least that moment at the rail, that's that physical reminder that, Yes, this is where you belong. Yeah. You're where exactly where you should be right now. And we commune together as a congregation, and not everyone knows everyone's names here. And and why do those people matter, even if I don't know their name? They matter to Christ, and they're worth the death and resurrection of Christ, just as I am. And that's that's the attitude of the church. <laughs> Is to, is to live in that reality of how Jesus sees us. We see each other that way too. Uh, Deaconess, before we wrap up, I want to just highlight, again, I mentioned how much I love the Emmaus Road account, and I'm not going to read it. I encourage you all to, but I do want to read a hymn to you all. This is hymn number 476. Will you sing it to us? Uh, no, I want people to keep listening to the podcast. Ah, okay, you know. okay. Uh, hymn 476. This is Who Are You Who Walk in Sorrow? Uh, this is technically labeled as an Easter hymn, and you'll you'll hear that. But it's it's a nice retelling of the Emmaus Road, and uh, lately, past few years, we have uh, sung this hymn in the early service on All Saints Day, I mean, when we do the reading of the names of those who have died uh, from this congregation in the past year. This is the hymn that we sing, interspersing it. Um, in the late service, we've been singing uh, the song "I'm the Bread of Life," 
um, in the chorus, and I'll raise you up in the last day. And it's just really beautiful. But listen to this and just how it captures the, the full story and drama of the Emmaus Road and the hope we have in our Savior. So here we go. Number 476. Who are you who walk in sorrow down Emmaus's barren road? Hearts distraught and hope defeated, bent beneath grief's crushing load. Nameless mourners, we will join you, we who also mourn our dead. We have stood by graves unyielding, eaten death's bare, bitter bread. Who is this who joins our journey? Walking with us stride by stride, unknown stranger, can you fathom depths of grief for one who died? Then the wonder, when we told you how our dreams to dust have turned, then you opened wide the scriptures till our hearts within us burned. Who are you? Our hearts are opened. In the breaking of the bread, Christ the victim, now the victor, living, risen from the dead, great companion on our journey, still surprise us with your grace. Make each day a new Emmaus, on our hearts your image trace. Who are we who travel with you on our way through life to death? Women, Men, the young, the aging, wakened by the Spirit's breath. At the font you claim and name us, born of water and the word. At the table still you feed us, host us as our risen Lord. Alleluia, alleluia is the Easter hymn we sing. Take our life, our joy, our worship as the gift of love we bring. You have formed us all one people, called from every land and race. Make the church your servant body, sent to share your healing grace. This wraps up our episode for today. Thank you guys for listening to the discussion. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. You can also find the sermon on our website, stjohndublin.org. Will you include a link to the image as well? Uh, yeah, I can do that. It's a uh, Caravaggio again is the artist, and it's his painting of Jesus on the Emmaus Road. Wonderful. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks, Deaconess. All right, take care, you guys. Bye. See you.